Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Biweekly Asset Allocation Report for November 20th, 2023. I'm Phil Adler. With the latest quarterly earnings reports now in the books, now might be a good time to step back and look at earnings from a different angle as we try to anticipate future stock market performance. Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady has been doing just that and joins us today to discuss a chart that might help us. This is a 100-year chart measuring S&P 500 earnings per share to GDP. Bill, what's the value of this chart? Well, Phil, at a macro level, society has to determine the allocation of returns. Broadly speaking, this is an allocation of gross profit, which is sales revenue less cost of goods sold. Society sets the parameters of how gross profit is allocated between the owners of capital and labor. The point of this chart is to show that this allocation varies relative to the size of GDP. From 1920 into the mid-1950s, with a few down periods, S&P earnings per share tended to exceed what could be explained by GDP. Then we entered a long period where earnings tended to run with or lag GDP. This would suggest that labor was getting a, a larger share. And since 1990, that condition reversed again with earnings per share meeting or exceeding what GDP would explain. Now, there's a couple caveats to this. Earnings per share isn't exactly the same as S&P net profits because the share counts change over time. The strength in earnings over the past two decades has been assisted by steady declining share counts. A big part of this is the change in executive compensation, where executives get paid in stock. They have an incentive to buy back shares to increase the share prices and their compensation. Fewer outstanding shares means higher earnings per share, but overall, this measure does indicate the balance of power between capital and labor. And what does this chart show is the case recently? How are corporate profits performing compared to GDP? Exceptionally well. We did see this measure fall sharply in 2001 and the 2007 and 2009 recessions, but it's interesting to note that in the pandemic, profits held up quite well. So to reiterate, can we say that earnings have been basically outperforming the economy and by a pretty wide margin? Yep. Yes, we can. Have we seen similar periods to this in the past? Well, the last time we saw this consistent degree of earnings strength was in the 1920s. Do these periods tend to end with a whimper or a thud? Well, that episode ended very badly. Earnings fell very hard during the Great Depression. The Depression essentially became a historical watershed in the relative power of labor and capital, with the former making remarkable gains. Why have S&P 500 earnings been doing so well recently compared to GDP? Well, capital's been favored over labor due to policy changes that started in the late 1970s. First, deregulation created new supply by adding new entrants to the labor market. Before, unions had some ability to restrict labor inflows. That diminished with deregulation. Good example of this is in trucking. When trucking was deregulated, the Teamsters Union had to expand its membership to non-trucking jobs to survive as trucking became dominated by independent operators. Technology allowed for the separation of design and production, fostering globalization. Import competition and outsourcing also reduced labor power. And a third feature was antitrust policy. In the 1980s, Robert Bork postulated that as long as consumers were not adversely affected, the size of firms was immaterial. This policy fostered industrial combination, further enhancing the market power for firms. The resulting situation bolstered profitability. Why did these policies change? Because the U.S. was facing an inflation crisis
crisis and decided to expand the supply side of the economy. So, before we move on, would, would you repeat, what are the main factors behind this recent favorable market power environment for corporations? Well, on its face, it's deregulation and globalization, but it should also be noted that how these factors evolved were based on policy choices. The inflation of the 1970s led to a sort of whatever-it-takes situation for policymakers. If subverting labor power was necessary to bring inflation under control, it was acceptable. Another factor is that during the Cold War, American elites wanted to show that capitalism democracy would offer a better life to workers compared to communism. And so there was an incentive to support labor. But once communism fell, there was less of an incentive to provide for labor, leading to a focus to expand the power of capital. Bill, how about productivity gained through automation and technology? It seems this trend might diminish the power of labor? Does it in fact contribute to corporate market power? Yes, but with a caveat. Policy could have shared the gains of productivity more evenly. I was listening to a podcast about the Luddites who lost their jobs to automation in the 19th century. Initially, workers that lost their jobs petitioned Parliament for relief. They didn't want to halt progress, but they wanted some protection from it. Legislators ignored their concerns, and as textile workers' plight worsened, they turned to violence. Not so much has changed today. For the past 40 years, automation and technology has tended to enhance profitability, and it should. But the distribution of gross profit could be different. Well, strikes have been in the news lately, at least on one level, as a fight against emerging technology, and probably the automakers strike as well. Probably a lot of these strikes have something in common. Do you think labor power is growing enough to diminish the market power of corporations? Well, there is no doubt labor power is growing. We have documented the rapid exit of the boomer generation from the labor force, which has led to labor shortages. Compounding the situation is a turn against immigration. However, for the current favorable condition for labor to continue, it will need additional policy support. Bill, is there other evidence to suggest that this era of corporate market power over labor may be changing or even reversing? The unwinding of globalization likely means that it will become harder for firms to move production to the lowest-cost labor market. In effect, geopolitical risk is becoming an impediment to lowering costs. Another factor is a rethinking of antitrust policy. The current head of the FTC, Lisa Kahn, has argued that the size of increased corporate power and firms has used this power to manipulate the political system to its benefit. In essence, this is a rejection of the Bork standard and a return to a standard that existed previously. And third, governments are using industrial policy to guide investment. Government involvement increases the odds that labor's goals will be taken into account. Bill, this all sounds like it might unfold slowly. Could we be months or years away from making actual investment decisions based on these trends? Well, yes and no. There's a saying attributed to Rudy Dornbush that says that things take longer to happen than you think they will, and then they happen faster than you thought they could. Changing antitrust, for example, could take decades because you have a whole generation of judges who've grown up on the Bork standard, and you have a whole generation of managers who see nothing wrong with undermining unions. But as one who lived through the Reagan Revolution, which led to a rapid undermining of union power, once sentiment shifts, policy can change rather fast. We went from union and government jobs being the goal of most workers to a shift toward entrepreneurship and white-collar work in rapid fashion in the 1980s. Bill, why might this process eventually be a boon for small and mid-cap stocks? 
Well, it'll be a boon on a relative basis. Large cap stocks have benefited greatly from the current policy environment. If it changes and their profits and multiples fall back to historical norms, large caps could be quite vulnerable. As investors leave these stocks, smaller capitalization stocks, which haven't benefited from globalization and deregulation to the same degree, have much more attractive valuations and there should be a target of flows from large caps. We mentioned that the latest earnings quarter has wrapped up. I I might be wrong, but it seems that companies that missed earnings expectations got hammered more than usual in the latest quarter. Is my perception right? And if it is, is this a sign that corporate market power might be diminishing? Well, Phil, I think you're right in your observation, but I don't think it has anything to do with diminishing market power. Instead, it's probably more caused by these stocks being priced to perfection. In other words, their valuations were so elevated due to expectations on earnings, and when these earnings failed to meet those expectations, prices were vulnerable to a decline. Thank you, Bill. Our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Be aware that opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. And this information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our audio engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler. 